0: The other day, I was on Pinterest and it linked me to a latch hook rug. I was trying to make a rug. A latch hook rug? From yarn scraps. (laughs) Why
1: do you have yarn scraps? (laughs) I don't have them yet. Okay, I was going to get them. I want to make something. Oh my God. Where are you going to? Do do people purchase yarn scraps? No, but that's the problem. So you got to knit or something and then have leftover yarn
0: and then you can make. The rug. I don't listen. I saw it on <laughs> Pinterest. It was okay, the latch fine. hook rug, or it was a punch <laughs> needle. I was really liking all of those fiber arts, and I said, "Oh, I'm gonna watch a tutorial on YouTube." And when I got to YouTube, it was all presidential election 2020. YouTube looked different.
1: Okay, same. Every time I get on Twitter, I I can't even scroll like one thumb up without somebody tweeting about the election, and I'm like. I just wanna see tweets about verses. I just wanna see tweets about, you know, Lovecraft Country. Mm. I I need a break from all of that. I'm TT. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. Oh.
0: I'm getting a lot of information about the election, and it's just everywhere. I'm having election burnout. Right. It's haunting my
1: dreams. Two more months to go. It feels like an eternity away. Like, 2020 is the longest year of all time. I feel like two months until election, I mean,
0: how old am I going to be in two months? 47. Definitely. At (laughs) least 47. And the ads are not stopping on these different platforms it's not stopping at youtube it's not stopping with people tweeting stuff mm-hmm. i'm also getting text messages first of all my name is not william but the <laughs> yeah. messages are saying like "Dim cities are burning what are you gonna do and i'm like what is happening is this about what's happening in california i don't think so right what's going on i'm getting text messages from all
1: over they're like The great state of North Carolina. I'm like, I don't live in North Carolina.
0: Somebody has got something mixed up along the way. There's something mixed up.
1: And so I respond, I'm like, I don't live in North Carolina. They're like, okay, I'll remove you from our list. Then the next day I get three more text messages about North Carolina, where the polls
0: are in North Carolina. It doesn't help me. Man, when you just said, okay, I'll remove you from our list, I felt so optimistic. I picked up my phone. I was ready to reply to every spam message I received. No,
1: they don't remove you. (laughs) They just keep going. (laughs) They just keep going. Today's lab
0: is all about political ads. Specifically how political ads play a role in our greater political behavior.
1: And the strategies that are used to make political ads. Let's get into the recitation. So what do we know
0: We know political advertising has been around since American government has been around, basically.
1: Yes, I saw Hamilton, and they were definitely using political ads.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But things have changed a little bit.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, when you think back to when we were young, you would see, you know, political ads on television. You would hear them on the radio. But now with Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and all these things like that, they've got a lot of different ways to Hit us with the political
0: ads. And even though it feels like the election season is longer than it used to be (laughs) for some reason, I don't know if it's because we were all at home, but I feel like it's been politics nonstop and it may feel like it couldn't be possible, but it seems like the ads are ramping up the closer and closer we get to the election. Absolutely. I'm getting text messages literally every day. Well, what do we want to know?
1: Well, I want to know the history of political ads and how they've changed over time. And I'm interested
0: in the different objectives. Like, what do you think this text message is going to do?
1: And I think another important thing to figure out is what actually gets people to act. So after they see an ad in whatever form, what is it about the ad that gets them to do something about what they just saw? And what assumptions
0: are there about how people will act? And then just thinking about once you know what gets people to act, how are you leveraging technology? So has social media given these campaigns an advantage, right? Is it is there something about social media that's better than more traditional forms of ads? Mm-hmm. I imagine it's more responsive than a billboard, but how? That's a really good question. Like,
1: And do they work? Do political ads work? Are they changing folks' minds?
0: I'll say when I see too many ads, I'm turned off. So is there a... <laughs> Is there, an, <laughs> is there a risk? Is of, there a
1: limit? Like, yeah. Do people get tired of seeing the same ad over and over again? I think that's true for some people, but I guess we got to find out. Let's jump into
0: the dissection. So we're switching things up today, and we're bringing in not just one, but two guest experts to talk to us through the complexity and nuance of political advertising.
2: Our first guest is Dr. Cheryl Laird. My name is Cheryl uh, Laird. I am a professor of government and legal studies at Bowdoin College.
0: Dr. Laird's research is based on political behavior, specifically Black political behavior, and how that relates to public opinion. So she's really focused on the consumer side of political ads. How do ads affect a person's behavior? Our
3: second guest
0: is Jenna Golden.
3: Hi, my name is Jenna Golden, and I work with companies And organizations that are looking to better understand how to tap into the advertising ecosystem in Washington, D.C. Prior to this, I ran the political and advocacy sales team at Twitter.
1: So while Dr. Laird focuses on the receiving end and the effect of political ads, Jenna Golden focuses more on the advertiser side, working on things like strategy. And we're going to talk about those strategies and their effect a little bit later in the show. But first... Let's walk through the history of political ads. Political ads have always been around. It's just been in different forms. So before the invention of the printing press, it was all in person. So they would get up on stage and say why you should be voting for them. Post the
0: printing press, you could put up a flyer that says, hey, vote for me. And then when radio came along, it changed the game. You could get on the radio say, hey, I support candidate X, Y, and Z, give all the drama, all the emotion, and you were just broadcast over the waves. Everyone was tuning in.
2: Here's Dr. Laird. So, I mean, the advent of various technological um, advancements, right? Like, so as we've moved and progressed in our technology, political advertising has been able to shift in a number of ways.
0: But this was especially true with the boom of television in the 1950s.
2: But really, I think the the biggest step towards advertising that I think we still see today, right, is the visual, the pairing of the visual and the audio. In 1952,
1: with television hitting the scene, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who wasn't president at the time, but would become our president later, created a campaign of 40 20-second commercials called Eisenhower Answers America, where he answered questions posed by
0: Americans about very specific issues. Since then, political TV ads have become the dominant form of campaign advertising, eclipsing even social media. Here's Jenna.
3: If you look at the budgets of political advertising, you will still see that the vast majority of budget is spent on television ads. So it is still TV that is king when it comes to the dollars. But TV is not measurable the way that digital is measurable.
1: That's right. Social media has now opened the floodgates for a whole new form of political advertising. Unlike television, social media advertising is targetable and measurable. So even if you want to reach a very specific group of people, like within a zip code or a certain age group or a certain racial demographic, you can do that with micro-targeting.
3: You know, the micro-targeting that is available on digital is you know, 10 times deeper than what you get elsewhere.
0: So this means each ad that is seen or an ad impression theoretically has more impact because you're reaching the exact group of people that you want to. Dr. Laird agrees that social media ads are a game changer and for a multitude of reasons.
2: Social media has like broken the whole like space on this now, right? Like with Twitter and Facebook and all these different things, YouTube and, you know, just clicking on the websites. I mean, like anything now you are just seeing advertising. And
1: that repeat exposure, so like across all of those platforms, is another thing that sets social media advertisers apart from its predecessors. Every click of the mouse or tap on your screen is a new opportunity for a fresh ad to be thrown in your face.
0: And so from a campaigner's perspective, the more you click, the more I understand about you as a user of the Internet. This helps the campaign get down to the exact target population they want to reach. And sometimes the type of ad they send you depends on what stage the campaign is in. Here's Dr. Laird.
2: So it depends, for instance, on the target of the ad right like what are you trying to do with your ad um and so people have hired firms people hire consultants people get focus groups together i mean like there's a lot of money invested into how do you advertise to people and what are you appealing to
0: jenna breaks down the objectives of campaign advertising into four different stages awareness acquisition persuasion and mobilization
3: In a lot of cases, especially if it's a newer candidate that people are not familiar with, it starts with what we call awareness. And really the goal here is let's just get out this name and this information to as many people as possible that potentially are within our sort of space or geography so that we get the awareness that we need for the candidate.
1: Right. So when you think back to any type of primary elections, and always during the primaries, you see a bunch of new names. So when a new candidate comes out and its primary season and not a lot of people know that person, the aim of that campaign team is to get that person's name out so that more folks know who they are and they recognize the name when they see it.
3: But then the campaign, especially from an advertising standpoint, moves to the acquisition stage. And what I mean by acquisition is there are really two pieces of data that every political campaign wants. One is your email address piece two in the acquisition stage that they're working really hard at is acquiring money. So it's fundraising.
0: So boom, if I know you know who my candidate is, I want to know who you are. So I want to build a huge list of people who know my candidate, like my candidate, and are willing to support my candidate with a couple coins.
1: Yeah, so if I see the name Zakia Watley, and I'm like, oh, okay, let me go research her website. So I go to her website and I find out more about her. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then they say, put your email here to sign up for this listserv so that, or to find out any updates on Zakia Watley. And so I put in my email address because I want to know more. Now they have a way to target me with more of their
0: ads. And that's exactly what I did to become your friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I knew it.
3: I was like, hmm, where have I heard this name before? Then it moves to persuasion. And persuasion is where you really start to see the content change. This is where I'm trying to reach people to persuade them to vote for my candidate or come to my side. Oftentimes you hear in the political ad world, people call their target as persuadables. So if I'm Joe Biden... What I want to do is I want to target the people in the middle that aren't sure. And they have the ability to be persuaded.
0: So here, if you're already Team Zakia, I don't want to talk to you anymore, really. I'm not spending any more money on you. I'm looking for the people who are like, huh, could be Team Zakia, could be Team TT. I want those people in the middle. And then I'm going to try to persuade them like, hey, TT's not really that nice. She's just pretending. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the most effective forms of persuasion, Dr. Laird says, is the emotive appeal. That's trying to get an emotional response.
1: One of the most common emotions that ads will try and incite is fear. And one of the most notable political ads that use fear as its tactic was from 1964 when Lyndon B. Johnson was running against Barry Goldwater.
2: The Daisy ad from LBJ where you have the little girl playing with the flower and then you see the large like atomic explosion go on. And this fear that's supposed to be garnered from that ad, right? Like the innocence of this young woman is at stake because we are in the midst of this fear of potentially being annihilated by these weapons of mass destruction. That is traumatizing. I can't even believe they
1: were showing that on television.
0: This was also the case during the 1988 election between Michael Dukakis and George Bush Sr. Here, there was an ad that incited fear and was also pretty problematic and harmful. And when we say problematic,
2: what we mean is racist. The one where they talk about Dukakis on crime, and they show the image of Willie Horton, right, and that the furlough that was granted to Willie Horton allowed him to basically go and commit another felony against a couple, right? And and that that was something showing that Dukakis is soft on crime, and uh, that Bush would be a better person to put into office. But with doing that, they're also triggering onto these implicit racial appeals, right? So they are trying to invoke for a white audience in particular, this fear of the Black criminal. So that's a problem,
1: right? Because it's it's bigger than I want to win this presidential election. This is influencing people's feelings about Black people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's negligent to put out stuff like that. You need to focus. Talk about the issue. You don't need to have like someone as the, the poster child because then you run into issues where people will start to discriminate against certain people that look a certain way or sound a certain way that fit the profile of the person that you're putting in this political ad.
0: And I think we still see traces of that to this day. Oh my gosh, yes. So beyond fear, there are some other well-known methods of persuasion as well, like negative advertising or focusing on a single issue that voters care about, whether it's war, economy, or a global pandemic.
1: We are seeing so many ads during this election cycle that touch on the pandemic. There's a lot. I mean, we've been trying to stay away from talking about the pandemic and the coronavirus, but it's so hard because it's a part of really everything that we're doing these days. And so putting it into political ads, it definitely taps into a lot of emotions that people are having. Taking that
0: persuasion right through the roof. So just to recap, we've gone through the first three stages of campaign advertising. Awareness, acquisition, and persuasion.
3: And then lastly, we have what we call mobilization or GOTV. And GOTV stands for get out the vote. So there's a big gap between people who say that they're going to vote and people who actually vote. And so the messaging that happens in those last stages, mobilization and get out the vote, a lot of it is here's a reminder of where your polling place is. Here's what time the polling place opens. Make sure that you're there early. Don't forget that your absentee ballot is coming. This is how you mail it in. This is how you make sure it gets there on time.
1: With those objectives in mind, campaigns reach out to potential voters using mailers, emails, TV ads, social media ads, phone calls, and a whole bunch of other methods. You know,
0: it's really one thing to say, I like this ad. I understand more about this candidate. I'm willing to share my email or donate. But I think it's very different when it comes to actual mobilization. I think sometimes it takes different motives to get you out of the door to vote, out of the door to attend a political rally.
1: Yeah, the activation energy is different for different people. So it's not just like, oh, we all are going to register and we're all going to get out to vote. Like some of the things that folks need to do to be able to feel empowered to do those things, it's a lot harder for them.
0: Yeah. Ideally, everyone would be able to just drop that ballot in the mail. Mm -hmm. Done. Right. Right. But I am ready. While I might be burned out on the ads when it's time to vote, I am ready. Me and my little Instagram stories. (laughs) I will be there to cheer you on to say, hey, did you vote yet? Hey, this is what you can do in your state. I want to use my voice to kind of help somebody over the hurdle if it will Even even help them. I'm there to do it.
1: Right. And I think we should all be doing that. Like if you know where your polling place is, put up the link for how you figured that out. Show a step by step, do a screen recording and post it. I actually have a friend that did that. She showed how she figured out where her polling place was. And I was like, this is amazing. It makes it seem so easy. You know what I'm saying? And it should be easy because it's the American way. Voting is a part of our democratic system and we should all be doing it. I'm excited to vote. I'm very excited to vote. And I'm excited to get y'all energized about voting, if you're not already.
0: (laughs) And look out for our Instagram, Twitter. It's going to be on our website at DopeLabsPodcast.com. We're going to tell you everything you need to know about registering to vote. And then when it's time to vote, what you should do then too. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about
1: social media, the political ad space, and how your internet activity determines what you see.
0: And we're back. We're talking to two guest experts, Dr. Cheryl Laird and Jenna Golden, about the history, objectives and effects of political ads. Like we
1: said earlier, the Internet has really changed the game within the political atmosphere. With the rise of social media advertising, campaigns and even those people not directly affiliated with campaigns are able to specifically target certain voters and then give them
0: repeated exposure to certain ads. So how do social media ads target people? What criteria do they use? Jenna breaks it down.
3: So there's sort of these two camps. And one is information that you choose to actively share. And the second is sort of informed information based on the actions and steps that you take. So you'll see both are ways that brands and organizations can ultimately target you.
1: I went to Zakia's website because I'm interested in possibly voting for her. <laughs> and when I get there, I put in my email address. I put in my age. I put in um, my zip code, maybe. So from there... They have a lot of information about me, where I live, how old I am. So a lot about my demographic. And that is me actively sharing.
0: But because TT has selected many Instagram ads, purchased many embroidered sweatshirts, (laughs) <laughs> across the web, I know a little bit more about her. You this know? is true. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are things that she's not actively sharing, but those are things that I'm collecting through her cookies on her website that are describing the type of person she is on the web.
1: Cookies is like leaving breadcrumbs wherever you go. Each yes. website you go to, you drop a few breadcrumbs so they know you were there because... I mean, your cookies are there. There's a whole bunch
2: of data that's being collected there, your cookies. And, and in that data is information about your preferences, information about your gender, information about your social identities, information about your background. And now the types of ads that you can get towards you will be specific in what people think may be appealing to you. Uh, and that's like a whole new frontier. Jenna says
0: that it's not just your demographics and online behavior. That zip code, TT, is just as important.
3: So there's a lot of recognition of individuals and targeting individuals, but there's also a lot of care that goes towards thinking about the geographies in which those individuals are located. Because at the end of the day, you might be persuadable, but if you are a leaning Republican and you live in one of the most Democratic states, it may not be worth the budget to focus there. Whereas I want to focus on What are these key swing states where I can really get the most bang for our buck?
0: They might spend a little money on you, but they'll spend more in places that are battlegrounds. And when we say more, we don't mean a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's estimated that $7 billion will be spent on advertising during this general election. Did y'all hear that? That's billion with a B. And the bulk of that, like 60 to 70 percent of it, will be spent in the last 10 weeks leading up to the election. And that's just hard money from campaigns. There's also soft money from other groups and organizations that are campaign adjacent or want to see a certain candidate win. They're spending money, too. That's so much money. But money isn't the only thing that's getting out of control. The other thing that's out of control is political misinformation.
1: All of the elements that we've talked about, the unlimited funding, the increased targeting technology, it all helps breed this landscape where it becomes impossible to know what's fact and what's not. And what Dr. Laird says, one misinformed match can create a huge fire.
2: So I think that that's the thing to think about with misinformation as well, is that it's it's dangerous because it's collective, right? Like, it is not just one individual, but it is... You know, a bunch of people all kind of starting to agree. And it doesn't take much to convince either. And
0: where that misinformation is coming from might surprise you. Jenna says that the misinformation is primarily coming from organic content, not paid advertising content. That means it's your own people, real people, creating posts that are inaccurate, sharing them, and they're spreading all around in your social network.
1: This reminds me of our episode, Protect Your Neck, how we talked about how virus spreads. Mm Mm-hmm. Like how it can just hijack everything as soon as it's introduced to a new host cell. And that's exactly how the misinformation is spreading.
0: And when you take that information and put it in the context of these conversations about regulation of information on social media platforms, we've all seen Mark Zuckerberg on C-SPAN or, <laughs> <laughs> or if you think about Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, they're all trying to do something different. It's, you can pull down the ads, but that doesn't change the problem.
1: So how are social media companies stepping up? What are they doing to combat the spread of misinformation?
3: So now what Twitter has done over the last few months has started to essentially um, place labels on pieces of content that are tweeted out that could be misinformation. And why it's so notable is because we all know that while Twitter is the smallest, um, it has the largest megaphone and it also has Quite a power user, which is Donald Trump, who is the president of the United States.
0: Twitter also made the decision to ban political ads altogether last November. Other social media
1: companies like Pinterest and Nextdoor didn't allow political ads from the get go. They wanted nothing to do with it. Like they said, no political ads on this app. But for the ones that did, like Twitter, Facebook, Google, YouTube, all those, They're trying to put the toothpaste back into the tube.
3: When you think about the amount of content that is pumping through those platforms on a daily basis, there is not a way to possibly monitor all of that content. Definitely not manually. And as we've seen, as a lot of these companies have tried to monitor some of that content from an AI standpoint or a machine learning standpoint, that often misses context.
0: Facebook has started to put some labels on things too. But do you know what I saw in response? Where? A screenshot from a group message where people were saying, this is how you remove fact checkers from your post. And I was <laughs> like, you don't want your post to be checked for facts? Y'all just want to be wrong? That made me really sad. Yeah.
1: People don't want the facts. They, they don't want them. Because to them, it doesn't matter what the facts are. Because it's not what they believe.
0: It's not what they feel.
1: Exactly. If they don't believe it, it is not a and fact.
0: And I think that's the other part. Not only do they not want to hear the truth, I think some people are not really grasping the full magnitude of what happens when you post something that's not true. Dr. Laird touched on this.
2: That is one of the things that is really troubling about the digital social media space is that most of these companies and people who've created it, I don't think have totally processed that it can happen like that. Like it can happen in the snap of a finger. you'd be stunned by what people are willing to do or are uh, influenced by.
1: Do you remember Pizzagate, TT? Yes. That was in 2016 during the election. And there was this conspiracy theory that said that this pizza place in D.C. had a child trafficking like ring running through it. And that one of the candidates had something to do with it. Yes. Folks started showing up to the pizza place like, where are the kids?
0: And they got threats and everything. Yes, this one man drove from North Carolina to D.C. to that pizza shop. That's four hours. That's four hours. With a gun. He was wrong. And once he realized that it was all made up, just misinformation on the web, he turned himself in. That's a wild ride. Are there still people who believe in pizza gate? Well, it's coming back in 2020. Have you heard? No.
1: It has a new younger audience on TikTok. Oh no. Okay. Well, that's that's all you need to say. Period. TikTok. <laughs> y'all got to do more research. Y'all not y'all are not even doing the bare minimum research. Y'all just sharing TikToks.
0: Social media is such a big part of this. And if there's anything we want you to walk away with, we want you to know when you're being targeted. Yes. What is an ad? What is just conversation? So when you're sharing things, know that you got to do your due diligence. They're looking for people just like you. They're they're saying, hey, do you like puppies and do you care about puppy meals? And then they're going to say, this candidate has 25 puppy meals. They're, you know, it's just <laughs> whatever is out here. And so I just want us to be a little more diligent.
2: And don't fall
0: for the okie-doke.
2: The, the time lapse of how much you're engaging that. I mean, it is mentally taxing. Right Um, and cognitively taxing uh, and and could be leading to other kinds of outcomes that we haven't truly surmised from all of it, because it, it is so overwhelming how much is happening. My
0: motto used to be zero fatigue, but now it's all the <laughs> fatigue, okay? <laughs> all the fatigue, election fatigue, general fatigue, people fatigue, just all of it. We are fatigued. and I think we're basically headed to the land of burnout. Honestly. And with that in mind,
1: our next episode is actually going to be all about burnout, how to recognize it and how to handle it. And we are so excited to talk about it because, I mean, being bombarded with all these political ads and then the pandemic and all these different things that are going on in the world. RIP to Chadwick Bozeman. And we're all just tired. 2020 has sucked. And so... This next episode on burnout is for the people, and we're going to get through this. By the
0: people, I mean me. (laughs) It's I. I am people. (laughs) After this episode airs, I'm going to announce your run for president.
1: (laughs) My run? I don't want to be president. Mm -mm. I think I'd be the worst president. I'd be like, everybody just chill. We have
0: to all go to bed so early if TT becomes president.
1: I think for your political ad, if I am on your campaign strategy team, I'm gonna be like, okay, I've got a lot of pictures of food that Zakia has made. Everybody likes to eat. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we can all bond over. And so then I'm just putting out pictures of plates <laughs> <and> <laughs> that I have had as Zakia's house being like, with Zakia, we all eat.
0: <laughs> we all eat good
1: mic drop
0: <laughs> no more hashtag struggle plate
1: that's it for lab 31 but we have so much more for you to dig into on our website so head on over there Dopelabspodcast.com.
0: On our website, you can find a cheat sheet for today's lab, along with a ton of other links and resources in the show notes.
1: And if you want to stay in the know with Dope Labs, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter on our site, too.
0: We won't sell your email address, but we might use it for (laughs) TT's campaign.
1: (laughs) Just delete all your cookies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Special thanks to both our guest experts, Dr. Cheryl Laird and Jenna Golden.
1: You can follow Jenna Golden on Twitter at JI Golden.
0: And you can visit Dr. Cheryl Laird's website at CherylLaird.com. That's C H R Y L L A I R D.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Cheryl Laird. You can find even more links to their work in our show notes.
1: You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast.
0: TT is on Twitter at D R underscore T S H O.
1: And you can find Zakia at Z Said So. Are y'all registered to vote yet? Get started at headcount.org slash play your part. It's quick
0: and easy, I promise. Yes. Also, we love hearing from you. What did you think about today's lab? Do you have ideas for future labs? Call us at 202-567-7028 and let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT is on Twitter at DR underscore TSHO. And you can find Zakia at Z Said So. Follow us on Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Dope Labs is produced by Jenny Rattleit Mass of Wave Runner Studios. Mixing and sound design are by Hannis Brown. Our
1: theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura, with additional music by Elijah LX Harvey. Dope Labs is a production of Spotify and Mega Om Media Group,
0: and it's executive produced by us, TT Shodia and Zakia Watley. What what would you put in your meme? You know who I really feel like is aligned with, like, my brand is somewhere between Anita Baker and Megan The Stallion. Yes. And so I really have to do some micro-targeting to get certain groups of people where I feel like Meg will be effective, but not the groups that will be turned off <laughs> by that and that are more Anita Baker and Sade. Yeah. But that's where I land. Anita The Stallion. Anita The Stallion.